In your Bibles this morning, James chapter number 4, James chapter number 4, and when we come to the book of James, uh, the Lord is using James to write to the church to save people, and in the church there, the local church, there was uh, some strife and there was uh, bitter envying, there's trouble and turmoil and fighting among themselves, and uh, so the Lord is going to use James, who is the brother of Jesus Christ, to set some things straight and help uh, Christian people who have really lost their peace. They've lost godly wisdom. They've lost joy. They've lost the fruit of the Spirit. They've lost uh, the thriving nature that God has designed in the Christian life. Because they've let some things in, worldliness and bitterness and sinfulness, and uh, the Lord's dealing with it. And we come to chapter number 4, and he's dealing very specifically with the trouble that's going on in the church. The Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 4, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? Even of your lust that war in your members. He says, he says, where's the fighting coming from? He says, it's you on an individual basis. You specifically. Uh, you are allowing these things to happen. You want and desire to have peace and joy and the fruits of the Spirit. But trying to get them the wrong way. He says in verse number 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war. He says you just don't have the peace of God because you're going after the wrong thing. The Bible says it like this in verse number 2, the last phrase. Ye have not because ye ask not. Uh, you have, we don't have what? Some people take this verse of Scripture out of its context and say, you don't have money in the bank because you don't have faith to pray. Well, that's a lie. That's not how it works. It says you don't have peace because you're not seeking the source of peace, which is God himself. It says you have not because you ask not. You're not having peace with God and peace in your home and your family and your church because you're not seeking God, the only source for real peace. You have not because you ask not. He says, and if you do ask, you're asking the wrong way. That's what the Bible says in verse number 3. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own, upon your lust. He says, he says if you don't get it and you're asking God, Lord, God, help me. Give me peace in this situation. Give me what I want. Give me the circumstances I desire and protect me from the circumstances I don't want. And he says you, you do that because all you want is uh, peace for yourself. You've got to seek God. You've got to put God first. And we come to verse 4, which is the beginning of our text for today's message. He says in verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from thee. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We come to this passage of Scripture, and I want to preach this message. How to have the peace of God. How to have the peace of God. If you pay much attention, you notice that there's turmoil all around us. If we're honest, there's often turmoil right inside of us. A lack of peace, a lack of faith, a lack of rest, a lack of trusting. In homes and even in churches, fighting and feuding and bickering and complaining and a nature that is unsatisfied with the circumstances of life is prevalent, right? And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm tired of having no peace. Well, there's a way to have peace with God. James, led by the Spirit of God, is writing to tell us a few things that will help us how to have peace. How to have the peace of God, peace with God, peace in our heart. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. How to have peace with God. Look the Bible says. We'll just go straight to the text. Verse number 4, the Bible says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of of God. If you're going to have peace with God, number one, you're going to, number one, have to reject worldliness. You're going to have to reject worldliness. Let's talk about this for just a minute. Uh, I remember uh, growing up often hearing, as a teenager, hearing sermons on being separated and being separate from the world. We were even encouraged in Brother Fred's youth group to memorize a few scriptures that have helped me a lot through the years. The Bible says, Wherefore come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And the Bible teaches to be separate from the world. Now, I'm not talking about so separate from the world that you never talk to anybody that's not a member of your church. I'm not talking about being so separate from the world that you don't have any communication with the world or you don't uh, engage the lost so they can be saved. But I'll tell you, there should be something remarkably different about God's people. Have you ever been around somebody and just started talking to them and within a moment you knew they were a Christian? I'm talking about that kind of separation. I'm talking about that kind of distinction. Worldly. The Bible says in verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Uh, James is hitting it right in the nose. This is a fascinating little picture here. Because uh, James is saying to the church, he's saying, Now listen, you guys are out of control. He says there's fighting and warring among you. You look like you've just been in a fight. And not only that, do you look like you've been in a fight. You smell and act and seem like you've been in some type of affair against your God. 
Often in the scripture, saved people, Christian people, are likened unto a bride, the bride of Christ. And I, I, am, a, uh, I am the bride of Christ, and he's the groom. And, and if the picture were to be painted of what was going on for the church, the church, we are the bride of Christ, and we should present ourselves as a bride. And James is saying, I want you to see the picture of what we're presenting to our great Savior. You can imagine it like this. The church is adorned for a wedding. The groom is dressed to the nines and standing at the altar waiting for here comes the bride. And all of a sudden the door's kicked open and in walks a bride. Her white dress is ripped and torn and she's been in the mud and both her eyes are black because she's been in a fight. The closer she gets, the more she smells like the filth of the world. And out of her mouth comes some of the most awful sounds and words you've ever heard as she makes her way down the aisle to be presented to her groom. And James says, let me tell you something. Church, he says, as far as presenting yourself as a bride, he said, I want you to know what you guys look like and what you're acting like and what you've become. You've become adulterers and adulteresses because you have become so close to the world. You've become so interested in the things of the world. You've become so enamored and full of the idea that the things of the world and the pleasures of the world and the experiences of the world are the things that will give you peace and joy and make you happy. You've forgotten that the source of all things sweet and good and right is from the groom. It's from the Savior. It's from our relationship with the Lord. He says you can't have peace in your heart with God when your desire is for the things of the world. You're like an adulterer. You've sought satisfaction from a source that was not yours to provide and could never provide. All he wants us to know is you should reject worldliness. He says in verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Let me tell you, you can have peace with God when you reject worldliness. You see, there's an issue here with affection. With affection. What is it that motivates you in life? Are you motivated by another deal? Are you motivated by another dollar? Are you motivated by another experience, another vacation, another toy? Are you motivated by... Another thrill. Now look, in their own place, all of those things are probably okay. But you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to have you so deceived into believing that the only way that you could ever be happy is if you have something that is tangible and worldly. That's a lie. Because you can have all the tangible worldly things you can ever imagine and you'll still find yourself lacking peace because peace only comes from God. The devil wants you to believe that peace and satisfaction comes from success 
And for people thinking, wow, he's amazing. Wow, she is beautiful and amazing. The applause of man. The devil wants you to believe that if you can accomplish some task that is worldly and earthly, that that'll give you peace. You can have all the education in the world and not have peace. You can have all the glory that the world has to offer and not have peace. You can have all the things the world provides and not have peace. Like if I can get one more thing, then I can have peace. But every time you get it, your affection changes not to God who can give you peace, but your affection changes to the next thing like the thing you got before that you thought would give you peace. How many of you ever just honestly fallen into that trap? How many of you ever fallen into that trap? You go after something, you think, if I get it, I'll be happy. But you weren't, so you went and got after something else. How many of you ever fallen into that trap? I've fallen into that trap. Here I am. And the devil sets the trap. And the devil wants us to be distracted. And he wants our affection. He wants our affection to be on things and things of the world. That's why the Bible says, set not your affection on things of the world. That's why the Bible says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through still. Why? Because the Lord knows the only way that you can be satisfied is if you seek Him first. See, the way to have peace is to reject worldliness. When James says, you're adulterers and adulteresses, he says, you have your affection going in the wrong direction. There are lots of wonderful women play a vital role in my life. I'm thankful here today. My mom's here. My sister's here. My mother-in-law's here. I have aunts and grandparents, grandmothers. I'm thankful. I have friends. But I'll just have you know something. There is one woman in this room that stands out above all the others that have a valuable role and place in my, my life. That is my wife. And the illustration is right. There are lots that goes on with life. I had meatloaf for supper last night. It was wonderful. I liked it a lot. I drove my truck to church this morning and I like it it's nice I thank the Lord for it I sat down in my office and I've got a comfortable chair and it's chilly out this morning I've even got a little electric heater that's nice there's some things in this world to enjoy but I'll have you know something none of those things houses or lands or farms or vehicles or none of those things can be and take the place of the one thing that excels them all, that gives us peace and gives us satisfaction is the core. That is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, if you're going to have peace with God, you're going to have to reject worldliness. And your affection is going to have to be on Christ first. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Then the scripture continues in verse number 4. Ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever there will be, therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, it's pretty strong words, right? Adulterers, adulteresses, enemy, enmity. Now, the Bible says friends. Now, this word friend is important. It's not just a casual friendship, but it's somebody that you identify with. And folks, if you look and act and sound and think just like the world, you've got an identity problem. Who's your friend? Now, the world presents itself as a friend, and you can identify with it all you want, but that's a friend that will leave you high and dry. But to be the friend of God, I'll just tell you, that produces peace. How do I have peace? Number one, reject worldliness. How can I have peace? Number one, reject worldliness. Number two, expect grace. Expect grace. Look at verse number five. Verse number five is one of these verses that gives us the really, really bad news. Here's what the scripture says in verse number five. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy The Bible just says, do you think that this Bible's wrong? Do you think it's a waste of words when God in his word says that the spirit that's inside of you lusteth to envy? How many of you ever noticed that you don't have to teach children to be envious? You don't have to teach children to lie. You don't have to teach children to cheat. You don't have to teach children to steal. Why? Why? Because the spirit that dwells in us lusteth to envy. See, a lot of folks want to say that people are basically good. That's not what God says. The Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God calls us sinners. We have a sin nature that has to be sanctified and cleansed. So the Bible says, you have a spirit that lusteth to envy. You don't need to raise your hand, but you should acknowledge in your heart. How many of you battle in your heart with envy? How many of you just sit around thinking, boy, I can't wait to find the next thing to be envious about. Oh, that'll be so much fun. I can't wait for the next opportunity to be jealous of somebody. I can't wait for the next opportunity to come around when I can be really upset and fuss and fight with somebody in my family. How many of you just sit around waiting for that opportunity? We really don't. I don't think there may be a rare exception, you you sicko. But uh, there, uh, but I don't think we sit around wanting that. But how often does it occur? It's because we have a flesh that is bent towards sin. With that in mind. God gives us some comforting words. Here's what it says in verse number 6. It says in 5, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Verse number 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. What can we do? We can expect grace. 
How many of you have had a battle at all this week in any form or fashion with your old flesh? Would you raise your hand? Mine's raised. Let me tell you something. Here's some hope. But he giveth more grace. He giveth more. Grace says, I can't. But God can. He giveth more grace. Expect grace. How can I have peace? Peace with God. The peace of God. How can I have peace in my heart? Because I'm looking for God to be my sufficiency. I don't have what it takes. I know it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the depth of spirituality to overcome. And if you think you do, you've been deceived. But he giveth more grace. Aren't you glad? He gives more grace. His grace is more than our weakness. He giveth more grace. His grace is greater than our temptation. He giveth more grace. His grace is stronger than the wiles of the devil. He giveth more grace. Folks, I can rest knowing that God gives more grace. You see, how can I have peace with God? Number one, I must reject worldliness. Number two, I must expect grace. Are you expecting God to meet you with grace? A lot of our defeat comes when we forget that God is able to overcome in the most adverse of circumstances. He giveth more grace. Our great defeat comes when we fail to have faith that God is able, but he giveth more grace. I want you to think about the thing that worries you the most about this upcoming week. And then I want you to follow it with this, but he giveth more grace. I've got this to deal with, but he giveth more grace. I've got this to battle, but he giveth more grace. You see, we should reject worldliness. Number two, we should expect grace. And finally, number three, we should inject submission. Humility and submission should be an intentional part of our Christian life. Submission. Here's what the Bible says in verse number six. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Who does God bless? Does God bless the people who are fighting for themselves and fighting for their flesh and fighting to get... No. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. The people who understand I need God's grace are the people who God gives his grace to. The people who acknowledge the fact that they are in desperate need of God's mercy are the people that God gives his mercy to. You see, the Bible says in verse number 7, submit. How many of you like the word humble? I don't like it. I'd rather be on top. I'd rather win. But God encouraged me to humble myself before God. Humble. How many of you love the word submit? Well, there's a lot of people who hate the word submit. When the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Man, that ruffles the feathers of all kinds of people. But it starts with when God in his word says, Submit yourself to God. And we get aggravated. We don't do our own thing. But God says, Submit. So the Bible says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me tell you something. We need to inject submission. Submission needs to be a part of our lives. We need to constantly be letting the Lord know and reminding ourselves that we are a blank page and God can write the story of our lives. Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, here I am. I'm not saying that God's going to call you to the mission field. But every person that's saved by grace through faith in Christ should be willing, if God called them, to quit their jobs and go to the mission field. I'm not saying that God's calling you to preach, but every person should be willing, if God so led, to be a preacher. Every person, if God led, should be willing to do whatever it is God led them to do. You should submit. Let me tell you something very important. God will never lead you to do anything that's not going to give you peace and help you and bless you. But we should submit. Someone said like this, we should get behind God. You know what we do? We, we want to lead our lives. We want to go after our things. We want, God, God, come on, come on, come on. Bless me, bless me, bless me. I want to, I want to do this. Come bless me for it. I want to do this. God, bless me. But the, the pattern and the order is out of line. What we need to do is say, God, where you lead me, I will follow. And as God leads us along, guess what? We get behind God. We submit to him. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. And we get to enjoy the blessings of God. Because we get behind God. Humble yourself. Submit yourself. The Bible says submit yourselves to God. Then he says in verse 7, resist the devil. What's the devil want to tell you? He's always want to tell you that there's something in this world that will make you happy. You resist him. Resist the devil. Let me tell you, you are no match for the devil. You're no match for the devil. Don't try to go digging in and finding out the devil so you can defeat this foe. You can't defeat him. You've got to have God do it. So the Bible says resist him. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Verse number 8. Draw nigh to God. You see, we need to get behind God. We also need to get close to God. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You hear the old preacher say, are you close to the Lord? I like that. Are you close to God? The Bible just says it like this, draw nigh unto God. How many of you think, my lands, I want to be close to God, but I don't know how. Well, it's simple. You just step towards the Lord. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God. And he will draw nigh unto you. I don't know how in the world God draws nigh to me, but he does. All I know is what I have to do is I've got to get close. I just go towards him. And when I go toward the Lord, the Lord comes toward me. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh to you. What are we to do? We're submit. Get behind God. Get close to God. Get close to God. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I close to God? And then I want you to ask this question. Am I as close to the Lord as I've ever been? 
Or is there a separation? Is there... Space now between the Lord and I, and I've let worldliness creep in. I heard the story of an old country married couple. For years, they'd ridden to town and back in their old pickup truck. Just a regular single cab pickup truck with a bench seat. And they arrived to town one day, and the wife was a little bit aggravated. She's sitting over on her side of the seat and next to the window and she spoke to her husband. She said, you remember when we'd ride to town and we always sat real close together? He answered, yep. You remember when we was young and we always sat real close together? And Yep. She says, do you remember how sweet it used to be when we used to sit real close together when we rode to town in the truck? Yep. Is that all you got to say? He said, nope. He's driving down the road. He says, I ain't moved. That's a silly picture of the Lord you know he's not moved he's always there he always wants to help us to love us to guide us to bless us to give us peace we're going to have to submit ourselves and scoot over draw nigh unto God we're submit how can I have peace with God Reject worldliness, expect grace, inject submission. Let me show you something else that goes along with submission. The Bible says in verse 8, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Look at the next word, cleanse. Cleanse your hands. Now look, sin creeps into all of our lives. And God requires us that we repent of our sins, that we confess our sins, that we give our sins back to God and ask Him to forgive us. Cleanse. Some of us need to clean up. What is it? I'm confident if you're a saved person, the Holy Spirit of God right now, if you'll ask Him to, will show you what needs to be cleaned up in your life. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Look at the next word. Purify. Your hearts, you double-minded. Do you remember a moment in your life where all you could think about was pleasing the Lord? But now, you think about pleasing the Lord occasionally, but you spend a lot of your time thinking about what you can get or what you can accomplish or what you can experience or what you can do on earth. The Bible says to you, purify your hearts, you double-minded. He said, you've got affections in both worlds. Now look, God will give you things on earth to enjoy. There's no doubt about it. But if you seek them in conjunction at the same time with God and you put them on an equal plane or a greater plane to God, you've got a God in your life that's not big G God, God of the Bible. And you need to purify your heart. Look the Bible says in verse 9. No one wants to feel bad. But let me tell you something. God doesn't mind one bit if you feel bad and guilty over your sin. 
He says, if you're dirty, if you've found out that you're worldly, if God has exposed in your heart today sin and the reason that you don't have peace is because you're not seeking God, God says, here's the way you need to react and you need to respond. He says, you need to be afflicted. You need to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart and you need to welcome the guilt that comes along with it because you need a good old-fashioned spanking from God the Father. He says, be afflicted. Mourn over your sin. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Stop laughing over the filth and mourn over the depravity of your heart, the wickedness and sinfulness of your behavior. Let your joy be turned to heaviness. God says it's okay. As a matter of fact, you should feel the guilt and the weight of sin. And then you just get to the place, verse number 10, where you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. What happens? You humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You don't make excuses for your sin. You don't continue in your sin. You just humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You inject submission. And the Bible says it just as simply and plain as you can see. He shall lift you up. What happens? You can have peace with God when you humble yourself before God. He'll lift you up. You confess your sins. He's faithful and just forgive your sins. You repent and turn to Him. He will lift you up. You know what you get when Jesus lifts you up? Peace. Peace. How can I have peace with God? Reject worldliness. Expect grace. Inject submission. He shall lift you up. May the Lord help us. Let's pray.